episode 86 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultramarathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. You can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. Uh, hey, big news to announce. Do you want to learn how to be happy? I mean, who doesn't, right? But we're, we're talking uh, big time happy. We're talking learning how to be happy and as uh, virtual couch guest Nikki Harmon called it, happy in the hard. We're talking about happy as a parent or happy as a spouse. I kind of feel like I'm uh, really trying to sell this. Like act now and you'll also find out how to be happy in your work. You know, you name it. We're going to address it. If you are interested, then head over to TonyOverbay.com. Enter your email address right there next to where it says learn how to be happy about halfway down the page. And you'll be the first to hear about the dates and the details of a program that I am preparing to launch coming soon um, to your uh, to earpods, earbuds near you on how, in fact, you can learn how to be happy. Now, for you Instagram folks, please uh, head over to Virtual Couch and follow. And if you have been listening the last couple of weeks, I've been trying to, to pump up a little bit the Virtual Couch YouTube channel. My guest today, Christine Hammond, our interview is up there on YouTube as well. And uh, if you're a Facebook person, head over to Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist um, Facebook page and give a like or a follow or all those kind of good things there too. So my guest today is Christine Hammond, and this is a fascinating interview. Christine is someone that I sought out. She is the host of a popular podcast called Understanding Today's Narcissist. And I think that I've alluded to in the past, it was somewhere back in episode 30, 31, that I did an episode on narcissism. And I was starting to see... As, as I continue to see more and more couples, um, the, con the the thing that I do with couples therapy, emotionally focused therapy, it, it can be a little bit challenging when one of the one of the people participating has a personality disorder, um, especially one like narcissism. And as the couples therapist, you see it play out because you might have 15, 20 sessions throughout that week where the couple is just doing amazing things with this emotionally focused therapy. They're learning how to communicate. They're learning how to put out these emotional bids, how to be vulnerable. And their partner is equally learning new skills. They're learning how to have empathy, how to understand. Seek first to understand before being understood. And they will hear where, where, their, where their partner's coming from. And now they have this new data and they have empathy and compassion. And now they're going to handle things a little bit differently. They don't go in so hot with the, you know, with the conversation. It's like, hey, tell me what's going on for you first. And here comes that empathy. And so when I see that stuff work, it's beautiful. And I watch couples all the time say, I never knew that we could communicate this way. And they live happily ever after. And they're unicorns and, and rainbows and pots of gold. And it's just amazing. But then what I also see is when that doesn't work and the couple doesn't know, you know, they don't have this uh, relationship model, perhaps, that they're shooting for. And I'm trying to sell them on this uh, this rainbow unicorn pot of gold version where you know, you can you can pour your heart out to your partner and, you know, you can go in there and say, let me take you on my train of thought. Like here, check this out. And your partner's like, thank you so much for sharing. Now I know more about you. You're my person. We're, we're united. And so sometimes I run into a thing where, you know, you're trying to work these EFT principles. And one of the people just says, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. You know, she needs to know that she is a dirty, rotten, blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, if, if she's uh, maybe the narcissist, she's saying, you know, I can't do this. He's, he's constantly saying this and this and this. And they just don't, they don't engage in the, the couples therapy, the emotionally focused therapy. And so then the more I started doing couples therapy, the more I would see these, these kind of situations and they just stand out. And that's when I did this podcast on narcissism. And, and that's the thing I never saw coming. I mean, I've had so many emails about that, that episode in particular, and it still continues to just download, 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 just tens of thousands of downloads later. 
And so I found myself now answering a lot of questions about narcissism. I'm dealing with a lot more clients um, that are that are saying, "Hey, you know, is my is my spouse a narcissist? How do I engage with a narcissist? How do I how do I divorce a narcissist? How do I live with a narcissist?" And so I've been doing deep dive on the training, and I really do find the work fascinating. But that's what led me to Christine Hammond. Christine. Yeah, host of the popular podcast, Understanding Today's Narcissist. And you can find out more about her at growwithchristine.com. So she has the podcast. She has an online class about how to divorce a narcissist. And she's written literally hundreds of articles on personality disorders, narcissism, borderline, and much, much more. And so, and she was so engaging, so good, so direct. And I felt like I just got all of the questions that I constantly get. And even questions that I have when I'm working with the couples or individuals who are wondering about personality disorders, narcissism, borderline. And so she answers them all. So this is going to be a fascinating interview. It is up on YouTube if you want to see the video of Christine and I talking. Um, But a little bit more about Christine. She is a licensed mental health counselor and a qualified supervisor by the state of Florida. She's a national certified counselor, parent coordination trained, a collaborative practitioner, certified family trauma professional, trained crisis responder, group crisis intervention trained. So she's got a lot of good um, training a, a lot behind her background. She specializes in personality disorders, which is fascinating in itself. And she and I will talk about that. But in particular, narcissism and borderline, and then all kinds of health, uh, mental health disorders, addictions, ADD, OCD, codependency, anxiety, anger, depression, parenting. So she's she's well rounded. But then she's really chose to focus on personality disorders, and that is a that is a tough load for a therapist because um, some of the personality disorder clients can be a bit draining because they really are they can they can get really really intense. Uh, she works in one on one therapy groups, organizations. She customizes relationship plans to meet the needs of her client. So again, please check this episode out. It's available on the Virtual Couch YouTube channel and uh, haven't really touched base with the kind of sponsor, so to speak, in a little bit, a couple episodes. So still always uh, grateful for the fine folks at Eli's Extracts and all natural organic shave cream scented with essential oils. You can go over to Eli's, E-L-I-S-Extracts.com and use coupon code virtualcouch for 25% off your entire order. And any any woman who is experiencing any type of betrayal trauma, be it emotional um, or physical affair of a spouse, or if you've recently learned of a spouse's pornography addiction or compulsive sexual behavior, there is a mountain of data that points to the symptoms of betrayal trauma mimicking those of PTSD, but there is help. There is so much help. I've done a lot of training in this area as well, and uh, please go find help. At least talk to somebody, but uh, you can also, first step is go to bloomforwomen.com, and there you'll find an enormous amount of resources. A lot of them are free, a lot of free resources. If you do decide to sign up for one of their paid services, you can use the coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, and it'll give you 30 days free um, access to that their site. But again, there's a lot of free resources there as well. So I would just encourage anyone that is experiencing or believes they might be experiencing betrayal trauma to go to bloomforwomen.com. Okay, I cannot wait to get to this interview. So uh, let's get to it. Christine Hammond um, with growwithchristine.com. podcast because I can't lie. I started uh, wanting to take a look at where my podcast was on the charts, right? Yeah. And I yeah. started seeing... Yeah. You know, we all do that. Okay, right. Good. Thank you for normalizing. <laughs> Makes me feel better. Yeah. Um, and I'm and I'm running into yours a lot and uh, and I'm seeing you. And it's not that I was saying, doggone it, she's ahead of me or she's, aha, I got her today or whatever. But I'm like noticing that we're in the similar space and uh, your podcast, yeah. Understanding Today's Narcissist podcast. And I was sharing with you off the air, but I do one podcast on narcissism and I start getting a ton of emails. I mean, that is such a hot topic. So then I I start listening to some of yours and I go onto your website, um, growwithchristine.com. And I mean, this is an area you've been working in for a long time, right? I have, I have, I just kind of like fell into this area. It wasn't something that, 
you know, you go to school and you're like, oh, what do you want to do? And I thought, oh, I'm going to be this cute little therapist who does prep for marriage work and like, you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff. And and then the next thing I know, I'm like right in the deep end of like the most um, difficult type of client to deal with and loving every minute of it. So okay, it, I it's love a that. very, yeah. I really, I really enjoy what I do and I enjoy my population. I, I like working with narcissists. I like working with people that have to deal with them. Um, I also deal with other people on the spectrum. I deal with borderlines, antisocials. So your sociopaths, psychopaths, like yeah. that population as well. Um, and pretty much anybody that's within the personality disorder area. And, and so getting a chance to be able to talk more about narcissism, which is probably my primary subject that I talk about. Um, I love that because there's so much bad information that's out there and any chance I get to like kind of set the record straight and clear some confusion up, I, I'm all over that opportunity. Perfect. Okay. Already, I want to book you for one about uh, borderline, one about antisocial, right? Great. So, Anytime. Yes. Um, but but tell me, because I, I, reading on your website, you have a pretty interesting background that led to you uh, as a stockbroker, a banker, you know, and so, yeah. um, and this isn't about me, this is about you, but I, you know, I was in the computer software industry, computer hardware industry, and now I'm a therapist. So typically I hear, man, that was quite a, a shift. But you, I mean, stockbroker, banker, that is numbers, that is not warm, squishy feelings kind of right. thing, right? So tell me right. about your journey. What got you here? So it's interesting because I initially started going to school thinking I was going to be a therapist. And then um, I realized that my life wasn't all that great. And I didn't have any real business like telling other people what to do. So I went to numbers, which was like my second love for lack of a better way of saying that. And, um, and I started um, working as a stockbroker and then as a banker. And then I became a trainer at a um, national bank um, where I was training people how to do um, their job. And I really love that whole area. And I love that entire business. I like the fast pace of it. Being a stockbroker for me, though, um, was challenging because the income is never stable. Okay. And so I didn't really like that aspect of it, which is why I switched into banking and then wound up getting married, having kids. And so then I took a break from, I say I take a break from working, but I didn't really take a break from working because I started my own little business and I did interior decorating and I okay. ran our homeowners association and like, you know, sat on all kinds of boards and everything. So it wasn't really a break, but yeah. it was, you know, a break professionally. And then during that time, and then you, went back. yeah, went back and didn't, then got your, uh, Yes. went back and got my master's in counseling. What was happening was I was doing lay counseling at a church in our area. And my husband, who's an attorney, just said, hey, hon, we're going to get we're going to get sued someday. Like you're counseling some like really difficult people and I'm afraid we're going to get sued. You need to get a license. And gotcha. so I went and back to school while our kids were young and got a license. And that's kind of how I wound up here. OK, I love it. Uh, I mean, that is uh, that is quite a background. But do you feel like. Um, that background kind of helps you have more empathy for clients or maybe even sometimes more, more cred, you know, if somebody knows that you've kind of done a lot of Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So like I have quite a few clients in the financial industry and they love the fact that I have that background because nobody understands their world. Mm -hmm. And you go and you talk to a therapist and you're like, oh, there's all this pressure and blah, blah, blah. And the therapist is like, oh, yeah, everybody has pressure. But it's not the same. Like, yeah. like the, financial, the financial pressure and how you feel the weightiness of the responsibility of taking care of other people's money is huge. 
And, um, and so it's a very unique kind of thing, unless you've experienced it, you don't really know how intense or the, or how much that responsibility weighs on you every single day. So, um, so I do actually have a lot of clients in that industry because they're so happy to have someone who gets their world and understands it and knows that they live and die by the stock market and, you know, and what industry is doing well and what industry is not doing well. I love it. Do you still follow the stock market, by the way? I try not to. I, <laughs> I try not to because I can get obsessed with it, you know, and that's yeah. like my own little thing. And so it's kind of like, um, you know, alcoholics shouldn't be drinking alcohol. And mm. so that's kind of the same thing with me in the stock market. I shouldn't be looking at it because okay. once I start, I don't ever stop. Gotcha. All right. I will not ask for any stock tips then even. Yeah, uh, no, then. Right. Okay. So great background that kind of leads you to where you are, but then you know, and in uh, kind of insider therapist world, you know, you hear when you're talking with other therapists, it's okay, I can only handle one or two personality disordered clients at a time. But then here you are saying, bring them on. I love it. So yes, what, every what day. okay, so what led you to then that population person? And maybe if you want to, for, for people who don't understand personality disorders, even a general overview, and then what, what got you there? Absolutely. So like the broad brush definition of personality disorder has just a couple of components to it. And the first component is that a person with a personality disorder lacks an accurate perception of reality. So the way I like to describe it is it's as if they're walking around with glasses that only see the color yellow. And so everything is like filtered through that one color. And so everything has a tinge of yellow around it and they don't see the variation of other colors and of other things. And they're permanently stuck that way. Like it's not glasses that they get to remove and take off and see the world the way that everybody else does. It's glasses that are on all the time. Wow. So I like to describe it that way because I think that helps people kind of like have an understanding because we're always about, oh, well, can they change and why won't they change? And I want them to be different and blah, blah, blah. They can't be different. A personality disorder is a personality disorder, which brings me to the next component of a personality disorder. It is something that is pervasive, meaning that it is in every aspect of the person's life. We see it at home. We see it at work. We see it in the neighborhood. We see it with friends. Like it isn't something that's exclusive to just one particular environment. For instance, um, people who have an obsession with washing their hands. That's an obsession with just washing their hands. And it's exclusive to washing their hands. It isn't washing their whole body or other things. It is just washing their hands. That's not what this is. This is everywhere, all the time, nonstop. It doesn't ever turn off. So that's the other component that's really big. When and I, and I love that. I mean, because I do feel like I'm often, one of the big epiphanies and when I start started seeing more narcissists in uh, couples counseling was uh, stumbling upon an article that said, you know, stop trying to have that. If I, I'll, I'll say the right thing or do the right thing where then that person will go, Oh my gosh, you're right. I have been seeing this all along. Cause basically you're trying to say, you know, I can convince them that, that they, that they are not seeing yellow. I mean, that, that's basically what you're trying to say, right? And that's exactly what it is. Okay. Oh, I love yeah, that analogy. And you're never going to be able to do that. So you, you got to stop it the other person, even as a therapist, stop trying to get them to do it. And you have to put on their rose-colored glasses and then help them from that. Yeah. So so that's kind of the perspective that you constantly have to work at. And then the last element of this is this. 
All personality disorders are not properly diagnosed until 18, but I have to have a five-year history of it prior, meaning that I have to have evidence of it throughout their teenagehood that they are falling into this this gap. And then at 18, which goes, which is a throwback to Eric Erickson's eight stages of psychosocial development, not to bring in psychology 101, but that's basically what this is. Yeah. And so, so he said, role identity versus confusion is supposed to happen between the ages of 12 and 18. By 18, you're supposed to figure out who you are. That's Mm. why that personality disorder is set in stone at 18, because you should know who you are. So I add this as a little caveat. What we have seen in this generation who tends to mature later in life than 18 years old is that sometimes, even though they are 18, we don't have a full diagnosis until they're 20 or even 21. And then we can really start to see it at that age. So I say that as a caveat because it is a little bit different culturally now than maybe 10 years ago. Okay. Well, and so, uh, boy, I want to jump to a question, another question, but I want to, so, well, let me do that then. So I think one of the things I had uh, thrown in some questions that I'd love to cover is I, I often run into people saying, it seems like there are more narcissists now, or so is, do you get that or is, and is it more that there's more awareness around it or do you feel like it is increasing in number? So statistically, we haven't seen evidence that it's increasing in number. But I think what we're starting to see is that there's more awareness of it, number one. And number two, because of social media, um, narcissists now have this amazing platform to show off their narcissistic personality, right? And so they use it over and over again. So it feels more. And then the other problem that we have is that the younger generation sees these people who are very prolific on social media and um, and talk about how great they are and how wonderful their lives are, none of which is true, but but they're doing it nonetheless. <laughs> and, and so then they're thinking, oh, I want to model and mimic that. And so then now we have another generation that is all modeling and mimicking narcissistic behavior. Wow. And so it seems like it's more, but diagnostically, it's not. So, so then does that kind of go to the next question of nature versus nurture? So can you create a narcissist by, you know, if they are uh, enthralled by all of these amazing YouTube stars that are putting themselves out that way? So I love that question. And, and let me, before I answer that question, I, I want to say this. We have to look at narcissism is like a gradation. Okay. Like it's on a scale, right? You can be a narcissist at a level one and you can be a narcissist at a level 10. And at 11-1, you just have a couple of the tendencies, and they're kind of in a one environment, maybe more. At a 10, not only am I narcissistic, but I'm probably also a borderline, maybe a sociopath as well. Like, I'm like not, I'm narcissist plus, right? Okay. So, like, I'm a little bit more. So, having said that, and like kind of laid that groundwork for like the variations that we can have of narcissism, going back to answer your question, nature versus nurture. Yeah. So, it's both. And, and I say that narcissism is a component of three things. The first thing is um, biology. So I have somewhere in the family tree a, a trait of a personality disorder. And everyone, and I come from a family with a family tree of narcissism in it. So you shake my family tree and what pops loose is either A, you're a narcissist or B, you married one. 
That's okay. like the under, that's the underspoken rule in my family. Okay. Either you are one or you marry one. Like okay. there's no like variation there. No, right? no degrees of separation at that point. No, yeah. no degrees of separation. So, so that's, that is the biology factor is that it, you can see it within a family trait. Then the second component of that is the trauma. And this, this is where the intensity of the gradation happens, right? So like if you have a lot of trauma and particularly around age two and three, that's when the trauma seems to be for narcissists the worst. Okay. So if you have a lot of trauma at a very young age and you develop this deep sense of shame for which you need to cover up all the time and put on a mask and on a face as if it doesn't exist, right? Then, and you keep doing that years and years and years and years. That's how the narcissism then gets developed over those years. So it is, I have the DNA for it. I've seen it in my family. They model it consistently for me. Then I have a trauma that has encouraged that behavior. And my, my family has reinforced that because that's how they have dealt with their own trauma. And then at the last end of that, which is the role identity phase, is where you have a decision. You've made a choice. You've said, you know what? It worked for my family and they made a lot of money. So if I do the same thing, I'm going to make a lot of money. So okay. it's kind of like that, that decision factor at the very end of it that says, you know what? I'm comfortable with this. I'm okay with it. And I don't mind being like this. Okay. So then the, the, the question I posed then, if, if they don't have those first two components, if there's nothing in the family tree and there wasn't trauma, they can try all they want, but they still are going to have some of that doggone. Right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, all right. So then back to then, what, wh- how did you, how did you find yourself working with this population in, you know, in the, by the masses? So, so it was, um, it was weird. I remember, I can still remember the day that I was sitting in my psychology class and I was taking the master's level class on personality disorders. And the professor was going over narcissism. And as soon as he read what a narcissist was, I felt like I had an out of body experience. Mm. Like, oh my gosh, this explains my whole life. Like it was just, it was such a revelation to me about what was going on. And so I approached my professor and started talking to him and, um, and explained to him. And he's like, yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of narcissism in your family. And, and so, so that kind of got the ball rolling and what I hadn't realized at the time. And so I had to do some of my own work, but then what I realized was that I had this natural, because I had dealt with narcissism for so long, I had this natural ability to be able to communicate with them because I had to, right. In order to function within my family unit, I had to know how to deal with them and I had to find workarounds. And so organically, I had developed these things over the years that I could then take and use in therapy. And so what started off is, oh, I just think I want to do like the easy, cute prep for marriage stuff, then turned into, um, you know, one of the people in our office didn't want to deal with somebody. So they they gave him over to me to try. And um, they were very difficult, very narcissistic. And I had great success. And then one kind of built on another and built on another. And next thing I know, I have a whole practice of it. Well, and I love, I was uh, listening to a bunch of your, I was binging on your podcast and uh, you had a good one about how to work with a narcissist, like a narcissistic boss. And I think you covered, it was exactly like this of, if you know how to kind of work with them, um, it's actually not very hard, right? It's really not. 
Yeah. It, it's actually very easy. Once you get in the rhythm of working with them, it's, it's very comfortable. And, um, because it, they are the same all the time. A, a narcissist it doesn't morph into something else because they're already satisfied with who they are. They mm. already think that they are all that and that they are superior. So therefore they don't need to change and develop and grow. So it actually makes it easier to work with that because it's stagnant. It's the same. It's consistent. Yeah. than it is to work with, for instance, a borderline who is not stagnant or a sociopath who definitely is not stagnant. Like those populations are more difficult to work with because they're always in flux. A narcissist mm -hmm. is almost never in flux. Well, and are you, okay, can we go a little deep now, Christine, right? So yeah. the thing that, that yeah. I find is, um, and I, I think I maybe had included this as well, but you can find some sites that just say that, it, let's talk about if you realize that you are married to a narcissist, male or female, um, there are some sites where people just say, prepare for the end or run away or that sort of thing. But right. I mean, but so when the way that you kind of say, Hey, if you know how to, how to kind of interact with a narcissist, um, do you feel like that is something that can be healthy in a relationship or that you can, I mean, is it dependent upon your goals of the relationship or, you know, what do you do with couples that come in and say, I'm married to a narcissist? What do I do? So it's up to them, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Like I, I don't, it doesn't really I tell them I have no dog in this race, Perfect. right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, if you want to stay married to them, I will help you stay married to them. If you want to divorce them, I'll help you divorce them. I love you know, it. like it doesn't really matter to me what you do, you, but you have to make a decision yourself. Yeah. And, um, and yes, there are certain personalities that actually do quite well with narcissists yeah. for, for their own host of unhealthy reasons or dysfunctional yeah. reasons. Right. And yeah. so they actually do well in that type of relationship because it lacks intimacy, which is exactly what they're looking for. They don't really want that intimate connection anyway. Um, so, so that is for some people that works yeah. for other people. It is the kiss of death. Yeah. And they feel like they're suffocating and they're dying and they're losing themselves in this yeah. other person, right? Because they're so dominant and so overpowering and they feel like they've lost themselves in that. And for them, like they do need to get away and they do need to get a better sense of yourself. But if you can remain yourself and be in a relationship with a narcissist and you're okay with it, fine. I, yeah. I don't care. I love that answer. I mean, because I do feel like our job, even as therapists, is I'm going to be right here beside my client and I'm going to help them look at what, what's ahead and what do they want to do and what are the pitfalls and, and, and kind of be there with them. And I feel like, I don't know if you experience this, but I feel like a lot of people do come in and basically they want you to say, what do I do? You know, should I get out? Should I? And, and that's not our job, right? Because if I say, no. you bet, run for the hills, and then they do, and now there's going to be that, okay, they told me to. I mean, I, I never wanted to anyway, you know, or, or that right. sort of thing. Okay. And I love the answer to that, but you do have, um, so you have a masterclass, uh, that you offer on, is it, it's divorcing a narcissist, correct? Yes. How to survive a divorce with a yeah. narcissist. Because okay. that is in and of itself, that is very difficult to do. Mm. Um, because if you thought being married to them was difficult, wait till you try to divorce them yeah. because they pull out all the stops. Cause remember, like, Remember, we talked about that hidden shame that's deep inside of them. Yeah. When you try to divorce a narcissist, like you are filing the paperwork, not them filing against you. If they file against you, you got the easiest, cleanest divorce ever. And it will be done so quickly. But if you file against the narcissist and you're the one pushing for the divorce, that is going to 
poke at that shame wound that they have inside of them. And they will go at you with full force because they can never allow that to be exposed. And on top of which, because you were in a relationship with them, you probably know what that shame is. And you've probably figured it out over the years. So the fact that they could be exposed only means they come after you even more because they cannot tolerate the idea of being exposed, shamed, or embarrassed in front of other people. That is their big Achilles heel. Yeah. So, and I, and I, I think that's the hard part too. And I'm sure you see this, but when you deal with a lot of different, when you deal with a lot of individuals or couples, or you kind of know what is more, and I hate to use the word, but normal, you know, when, okay, people are going to get a divorce. They know that, um, that this isn't healthy. There's a little bit of fighting. They maybe, you know, the kids are, are in the middle of those kind of classic things, but then, you know, they're going to file for the divorce and they're going to meet new people and, you know, that sort of thing. Right. But I do feel like the person who's divorcing the narcissist, um, I get all the, why, why won't he leave the house? Like he knows things are bad. You know, <laughs> why does he, why does he like just start poking at me? And why is he now like making up stories about me? Or, I mean, and that's not normal. Right. Right. And, and they do do all of those things. And on top of which, Um, And here's the dirty little secret that nobody likes to talk about. You don't ever really divorce a narcissist. Like Mm -hmm. you can divorce them on paper, but for a narcissist, once they've decided that you are part of their world and they have absorbed you into it, you ain't ever getting out of that unless they decide to put you out of it. Mm -hmm. So you can file all the paperwork you want. You can run from one state to another. You're never really going to escape them. Okay. It's just unless they choose it. And when they choose it, then it's this like uh, um, complete shut off. Like, I will never talk to you again. You will never hear from me. I am done with you completely. Like, it is this total shut off of you are dead to me kind Mm. of attitude. So it's a one extreme versus the other. Okay. And then, but uh, for anyone who's maybe listening right now and hears that, okay, you'll never you'll never really, you know, get rid of them. No. Say, but, but, but you can manage that though, right? I mean, that's yeah. what I love about yeah. what, your podcast and that you, you are very confident though with the, here's how you, I don't know, dance with the narcissist, so to speak. Right. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and you can manage that. Like just because they don't ever want to leave and just because they're always going to create problems even after a divorce doesn't mean that you can't figure out how to work it and how to use it to your advantage. You can, and, um, or even negotiate with them. They, you can negotiate with a narcissist. It is possible, but it's just tools and techniques that you need to learn in order to be able to get there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've thought about some of the questions that I get often. Um, I, I, I was going to say, I love this one, but I mean, it breaks my heart, but where somebody says, Hey, I've been reading, I think my spouse might be a narcissist. Should I let them know? You know, no. <laughs> okay, please go watch the YouTube video of uh, Christine's face right then. Uh, what, <laughs> yeah, right? Please. No, why? Why is that? Why do you not? <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so um, I I very rarely introduce the idea of narcissism to somebody. Now, when I do, I I don't ever use the word because there's already been so much junk around the word, and their perception of the word is already formed and. Usually for a narcissist, once they formed an impression about something, you're never going to get that to change, right? Mm -hmm. So if they form this impression that this narcissism is evil, and then all of a sudden you call them a narcissist, and they're like, oh, that's evil. Well, you're never going to come off of that. And you will never, ever have here. They will never get to a place where you can say, 
well, I didn't mean narcissism is being evil. That That's just not going to happen for them. Like once they've made that connection, you're done. So, um, so the reason I don't want people saying that is because it doesn't, it doesn't do anything. Now, what you can say to a narcissist is, you know, so, so you're kind of confident and you're pretty arrogant in what you say. And, and they'll be like, yeah, is there a problem with that? Oh, okay. And, and you don't really have feelings for other people and you, um, don't really apologize very much. No. Why would I ever need to apologize? Like, so they, like they will admit to literally every single one of the traits all by themselves, but you just don't use the word. Okay. Now, some narcissists are okay and they like the title. Like once they've found it and they've embraced it and they like it, and I'll give you this example because it's the, it's the craziest example I have of this. So I was seeing a um, 16-year-old kid for a couple of years and he was very dysfunctional, all kinds of trouble in school, like just... Um, and at home, like just constant problem child. And he came from a wealthy family. And so it was like one of those, he was one of those kids. And so he turned 18 and the dad came into me um, along with him and he was sitting down next to his son and he looked at me and said, so can you tell me what's wrong with my son? And I said, well, I can, do you really want to know? And I always ask that question, Right. right? And, and he's like, yeah, I really want to know. And I looked at the son and I'm like, are you okay with me telling your dad what I think it is happening here? And he's like, yeah, I have no problem with it. And I'm like, okay, you guys are really sure <laughs> you want me to say it? Because I just want to make sure. And, they're, and they were both like, yes, could you please just tell us already? And I said, all right, well, I can officially diagnose your son as having narcissistic personality disorder because he turned 18 and he's showed me evidence of it all of these years. And then I looked right at the dad and I smiled and I said, and that apple does not fall too far from the tree. Oh, yeah. And and the dad look, gave me this look of like, what did you just say? And then in a split second, he takes his arm, he puts it around his son, he pulls his son closer and he says, that's my boy. Oh, I'm boy. so proud of you. Wow. I did not see that coming. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I. Um, okay. Uh, boy, I've got a lot of jokes in my head and now, and and their names are, you know, but anyway, yeah, we'll leave that. Um, That that is wild. That is the, um, well, I was going to say then, so my, I often make, I I guess it's kind of a lighthearted, it's a joke, but to a therapist, typically a narcissist is a unicorn. You rarely see them because, you know, once they, once you don't buy into what they're selling you, um, then you're obviously not a good therapist, you know? So how does that, how do you work with that or are you do you know do you get how do I keep them yeah how do you yeah how do you all right so um (laughs) so the trick is like when you're working with a narcissist and you know that you have one you just tell them and 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 I'm very upfront with them I said you know what you really need to like me because we're going to be friends for a long time and you're going to float in and out of my office and when you get in trouble and your marriage falls apart or you have a problem with your kid you're going to come back and see me And so, you know, I hope you like me and how direct I'm going to be with you because you and I are going to know each other for many, many years. And, and so once I've laid the foundation of it's okay for them to float in and out of therapy, Okay. it's okay for them to come to me when they're having a problem. And, and it's okay that they can like call me up. I, I had one just the other day. I haven't seen her in five years. 
she calls me up and I are, I automatically know we're in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know, I know something's going on. I know we're in trouble. It's okay. She's going to come in for about three sessions tops yeah. and then she'll float out again, you know? Yeah. Yes. But they circle around like that. And so when you give them permission to do it, then they always come back. Because once they know that you're not going to judge them for who they are, you're not going to make them feel bad for who they are. You're not going to take their shame and force them to deal with it when they don't want to deal with it. And instead, you're going to help them to manage their life so that they don't blow up their marriage, so that they don't abuse their kids, so that they are able to keep their job. Yeah. Um, then they see the value in you and they keep coming back. And it's like this, like it's incrementalism, right? I'm happy with like little tiny bits of progress at a time over long periods of time. And so you just have to be so patient with them because they will change a little bit, but the progress is so slow. I love that because I do, I do feel like, uh, when you build enough rapport with, you know, and I tip the way it typically will play out for me is somebody, yeah, somebody is their marriage is in trouble or they, what, whatever that looks like. And then they finally right. say, fine, you know, my wife's throwing this, the word out all the time for the sake of an argument, let's just pretend I am a narcissist, whatever, you know, what, what would you then tell me to do? You know? And then, Oh, okay. Well, that, and for me, it's then, um, maybe let's pretend to have empathy or I used to keep a link to the a clip of the Seinfeld episode where George decides to do a 180. He's going to do everything that he thinks is the opposite of what he should do. And, and I almost feel like at that, you know, at times that's almost what the narcissist can do. You know, so if he's saying my wife is being very emotional, you know, what am I supposed to do with that? And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? Well, I want to tell her to get over it. What's, what's the opposite? I don't know. I guess act like I care, you know? Oh, right. Okay, right. Okay. Let's give yeah. that a shot. Okay. Oh, I love that though. Of the concept of, okay, they're going to come in and out. You're going to get them for a little bit of time and you are a safe place. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're consistent, safe place because whatever that shame was, they didn't develop a safe place usually as a child. Mm, Okay. Like most narcissists have a very unstable childhood in some regards. And so they didn't find that safety. So you've got to be that safety for them. And and that's the therapy that you are providing for them in that moment. Uh, a couple of little fun facts. Um, I'm curious that I often hear that the percentage is much higher of men than women. Is that true of narcissists? You know, I think a lot of women are misdiagnosed as borderline when they're really narcissistic, because what happens is um, when you have trauma mixed in with narcissism, it looks like borderline. Okay. And once you heal, the difference between the two is once you heal the trauma in somebody that is supposedly a borderline, they now they look narcissistic. But in borderlines, trauma doesn't get healed the same way. Like it's, it's very difficult to heal their trauma because they keep reliving it over and over again. But a narcissist can heal their trauma, and then but now we see the narcissism that pops up. So I I actually think the only reason why we have that discrepancy is because of there's more history of abuse with women um, than there is with men, at just okay. from a statistical standpoint, and that's the discrepancy there. Okay, uh, and then the other one I, I'm always fascinated by is. Um, a, 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 a someone who will never apologize. Do you run into that? I mean, do you feel like that's one of the big common traits? That's, that's one of the big common traits. They never mm-hmm. apologize, show no remorse for any actions that they've done, easily take advantage of other people without a care, a thought, you know, even so much as how it would impact somebody else. Yeah. So yes, that is one of the big traits. I, you know, I've actually had couples in where the wife may say he literally has never apologized. He won't apologize. And every now and again, I'm like, okay, let's, 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 let's dig in here. You know, 
Uh, is this true? Right. And, and then you watch the person just kind of go flat and they don't want to answer and they're going to dig in their heels. And, and I think internally, or what, I mean, what are they saying? Are they saying, well, why should I apologize? Or I'm never wrong. Or, you know, I mean, is that what's going on? Yeah, there's a whole host of things and, and understand that that, um, unwillingness to apologize also goes along with like the obsessive compulsive personality disorder. Mm. Um, interesting. Interestingly enough, you would think that sociopaths are that way, but they're the exact opposite. They're very easy to apologize and very quick to apologize because they want to they want to manipulate you even more. And they have long since found out that you can apologize and then people believe you and then, you know, you can continue your manipulation. And so like that's like that's like um, they learn that when they're little tiny children, you know, literally. Right. Yeah, so that, that's that's baby sociopath for them. Um, but. So you have other personality disorders that also have a difficulty time apologizing. And the reason for that is it's an exposure of themselves. So you got to think that when you apologize for something, you are being vulnerable in that moment and you are being open about something. And, and that's scary for them mm. because they've built this wall and this mask and they don't want anybody to see it. And so apologizing feels like, Oh my gosh, I can't do that. Because yeah. then when does it ever stop? If I that, start, yeah, it will never right. stop. Okay. Yeah. And I, I know uh, in couples therapy, and I'm a big proponent of uh, EFT, emotionally focused therapy. Mm-hmm. And I do find that one of the challenges they say is working with people with addiction or people with personality disorder, because you're basically trying to get the, the spouse to be very vulnerable and open and here's my heart and emotional bids and doing that to the narcissist does what it's basically saying, Hey, let me hand you my playbook. Right. So you'll know what to do. That's exactly right. Let me hand you all the areas of shame that I have tried so hard to hide from everybody else and expose it. And you want me to do that in front of this stranger in front of me? Like, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just, that's what's a resistance to the whole therapeutic process. And so you can't do that with them. Like yeah. you can't have them do that when they want to do it, they will present it, mm. but you can't force them or ask them to do it. It's too much for them. But do you, do you feel like if you get a couple in your office and you now do notice that one of them has uh, narcissistic or borderline uh, tendencies, do you halt the couple's therapy at that point? I mean, or do you just know how to manage that? So what we do is I do a divide and conquer. That's what okay. I call it. And so I, I quickly separate them and we do um, one therapy with one spouse, the other therapy, individual therapy with the other spouse, and then we'll come together. And when we come together, it's kind of like a, all right, um, like how, how have things been working? Like, what can we do? And so we're talking like they're coming together maybe once a month, but mm-hmm. then they're doing their individual work in between all of that. And, and so in their individual work, I might be more blunt and more honest with each one of them, depending on what needs to be. But then when we're together, I, I'm allowing them to be guarded um, for the per- until they're ready to expose more of themselves or bring more of themselves to the table. Because oh. it's always got to be on their timetable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said uh, before we started recording, you know, in your podcast, I love how you're just so kind of blunt. You've used that, that phrase. Right. And, and, uh, I, and asked, I started yeah. to ask you like, what, is that something that just is natural for you or is that uh, what you have to do with the population you work with? So it's a little of both. Um, yeah. I, I think um, if you were to ask my kids whether or not I'm blunt, they would say mercilessly. So, yeah. and so like, <laughs> So like, yes, that would be a true characteristic of me, but it also is very useful within the confines of personality disorders because you have to be very direct with them and, um, and willing to kind of like 
see through them a little bit. And, and then, um, and so I do this little thing where I will see through them, I will pick out a little something and I will bring it out for them to look at. And then as soon as they get resistance, I change the subject and we talk about something else. Boy, right. So, and then, and then we kind of like do this little dance around it, you know, like we both know it's here and we'll eventually get to it and I'll do a little dance for a while. And every now and then I'll just look at them and say, so are you ready to go back to that, that other topic over here? Yeah. And, uh, and they're like, no, okay, that's fine. I'm patient. I, I have more patience than you do. So, you know, and I just remind them of that. And then they, and then we go back to dancing around and then eventually they're like, okay, fine, let's get it over with. And then yeah. that's what happens usually. Hey, a uh, huge question I get is, uh, especially, and uh, you know, and I, I, I want to ask you a little bit about your podcast. Cause I think I had maybe, uh, I think I shared off of the air as well, that as soon as I do one episode on it, then I, my emails go through the roof. I mean, and your whole right. podcast is about understanding today's narcissist. I mean, are you just getting overwhelmed with, you know, people saying, I never knew this was a thing or I'm not crazy or that? Are you getting a lot of that? Yeah, um, I'm actually at the place in my practice where I can't even take new clients at this moment because I am so full and overbooked. Um, I have other therapists that I refer out to that I have worked with that understand personality disorders. Um, And so now I'm sending funneling some clients to them. And so, yes, I have, I have found myself in a very interesting place that a lot of therapists don't find themselves in, um, where I am overbooked. And, um, and not only do I do the podcast, but I also write for psych central and I have a lot of articles. Um, I've done close to 400 articles now for them and a good majority of them are on narcissism. And other yeah, personalities. You're, I, I mean, I, I just said found you from the podcast, but yeah, once I saw your, go to your website and I mean, you have, yeah, I, that's interesting. You have far much more content on uh, writing, right? Than you do yeah. on podcast. Yeah. Um, I actually what, did, what, yeah. What led you to the podcast then? Um, so I was approached by someone who had read one of my articles and said, hey, you know, by the way, this would be a really good podcast. And I thought, okay, I don't, I didn't even know what the word was. To be yeah. honest with you, like when I first started, it was like, what is a podcast? I don't understand. Why would anybody do something like that? Like, it didn't even make sense to me. And so they kind of walked me through, okay, this is what it is. This is the purpose of it. And I, I kind of went into doing podcasting blind. Like I thought, well, I'll try it. What the heck? Like yeah. I have nothing to lose. So minus we'll try it. Um, and we'll just see what comes of it. But what has come of it has been quite a bit um, ever since. And it has, it has really just blossomed my practice. I, I bet. I bet it has. Um, when someone says to you, I, and I now realize that I went, I, can't, I went off on a tangent there. When someone says, I get the emails or the people in my office that say, okay, I'm, I'm, I heard the podcast or, and I'm wondering now, am I a narcissist? You know, but what do you say to that? What's your answer? They're to that? my favorite. Okay. So, like that's my favorite go-to. Yeah. Like when they, when they contact me and they say, okay, I think I might be the narcissist. I say, okay, great. So let's schedule an appointment and we'll get started like talking about what that means. Um, so when they come in, I, and I'll always start with, so what research have you done? Right. Cause I need to know like from their standpoint, what do you know? So I always want to know what they know first before I talk anything about what I know. Mm. And usually they've come in half researched and have um, half of an idea. And I kind of like fill in the gaps of things. And then as we fill in the gaps, it's been interesting to me, half of these people really aren't narcissistic. Yeah. They're more codependent and you, yeah. true to the codependent self, right? They like, 
they think that they're everything, you know, and they're really not everything. Like they just can't help their little selves. And so most of them wind up being truly codependent and very few of them um, actually wind up being truly narcissistic. Um, and some of them have just heard it. Like somebody said it to them at work. Um, somebody said like threw it out. Oh, you're such a narcissist. And they're like, okay, what is that word? Let me Google real quick, you know? And, and then that, then they read it and they're like, oh my gosh, that sounds like me. And, but the narcissists who know that they're narcissists are comfortable with it. They're not upset by it. They're not traumatized by it. It doesn't bother them. Um, they think everybody should be like them. Uh, they think the whole world would operate better if everybody was narcissistic. And they, yeah, because they've got it all figured out, right? Right. Yeah. So, so you can tell me. I'm uh, the therapist in me. I'm very comfortable with being uncomfortable with this. Next. So, I, when people say to me, "Man, I, I, I wonder if I'm the narcissist, or I think I might be a narcissist," I, my typical go-to is, "If you have that much awareness, you're not the narcissist." I mean, do you feel like that's on and on the average true? Yeah, for the most yeah. part, right. Yeah. Every now and then, I will get a narcissist who. Yeah. True. Who has pinned themselves correctly. Yeah. Um, and they tend to be very intelligent. Um, I've had some doctors and lawyers be able to like say, you know, okay, so that's me. Like, yeah, yeah. They totally own it and have no problem with it. And, um, and so then we just kind of work from that premise. I want, you to, I want to let you know, I've been meaning to let you go for about the last 12 minutes. I've got one more question though. <laughs> Have you, this is one that I'm just now starting to put the pieces together and I've, I've only done a tiny bit of research, but do you find, um, a link at times with people with narcissism and having some sort of like, uh, chronic pain or they have, you know, it's like their, their, their disease is the most amazing disease or they are unique in the fact that, I mean, do do you know where I'm going with that? I do. And it is one of those very weird areas about a narcissist. Um, obsessive compulsives can do that too, where they kind of like get fixated. Um, those are those glasses that they see things through. So it's, it's the function of the personality disorder in and of itself. And so, yes, they, they're afraid that they have something like that's part of like that deep insecurity inside of themselves that they are going to have something and that, um, nobody else is going to have it or know what it is and they can't be fixed. And like, yeah. You know, somehow that they're different and unique. They're doing that because they feel inadequate in some other area of their life. Wow. So in some other area of their life is this deep insecurity that is not doing well for them. It's not resonating. There's something that's happening over here. So then they obsess over here with this, you know, crazy, I, I call it almost like it's um, hypochondriacs, right? And so they become like little mini hypochondriacs over here. Because this thing is not working for them and, yeah. and it used to work for them and now it's not. So then we're going to divert our attention over here because we can't like go inward and say, okay, it's not working and I must be doing something wrong and I need to take a look at myself. There's right. no self-check, right? Yeah. So it has to be something else over here and the illness is a safe place to land. Okay. That makes so much sense. And, I, and that is one of those where I almost started just noticing just in passing how often I was running into that, or if I'm working with the spouse and she's telling me about this unique disease he has, or this unique condition he has, or this unique, you know, so thank you for validating that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah, that is. Um, all right, Christine, this has been amazing. And I, I really want to go ahead and book you in advance for, I'd love to talk borderline. We mentioned borderline a little bit here today, and there's probably love people it. that are listening and, and don't even know what it is. And, and behind me on my bookshelf, sometimes I keep 
a couple of paperbacks of the I Hate You, Don't Leave Me book, you know. Oh, so, that's a great book. Yeah. Right? And, and, I, and I'm, I'm fresh out now, but I'll, I'll literally kind of, hey, why don't you take a look at this? You know, if I have somebody right. that's coming in and because I think a lot of people don't even know what, well, first of all, what personality disorders are in general. So I'm grateful that you covered that. But the borderline personality disorder, the yeah, that I hate you, don't leave and me. Let, me. let me just give you like a teaser you. for that. Yeah. Because, you know, when we talk about borderline, I talk about it as a gift. I don't talk about it as like this horrible, terrible thing. Okay. And because I don't believe that about borderlines, they have a very unique way of perceiving and seeing the world. Um, that is, that is so special and so artistic. Um, and we can see that in a lot of artists who have that personality disorder that, that it needs to be, um, more celebrated and less like put down and stuffed and confined. So I'll throw that out as like a little teaser. That's perfect. I can't wait. I really can't. Um, all right. Uh, where can people find you? Growwithchristine.com. Yes, I'll have perfect. the, I'll have links everywhere. Um, Thank you. And uh, I'm so grateful for your time. We covered so much ground. This is incredible. You have a masterclass on how to divorce a narcissist. Um, you have yes. a, go to your website. It links to your podcast. You can find your podcast yes. everywhere that podcasts yes. are, but your writing is so I 400 or more articles. I mean, so, you know, people right. can go, find anything that they need about okay great so thanks so much for your time christine i really appreciate it thank you so much tony yeah i can't talk to you again so uh i'm gonna say goodbye hang on one second and uh but uh, thanks so much for coming on thanks compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end the pressures of the daily grind it's Wasting rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most Explore